Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. And the talk you're about to hear is from our current message series, Is Like... Ancient Parables for a Modern Faith. So let's get straight into it. Sean DeToy is uh, the New Testament um, lecturer at Alpha Crucis, which happens to be the college that I'm uh, studying at and have been doing so over the last few years and still got some years to go. Um, and I don't know if I'm really allowed to say it, but Sean's my favourite lecturer. Um, and I'm not just saying that. Promise. <laughs> but uh, no, one of the things that I really love about Sean is not just that, um, not just that he has great insight into, into scripture, um, but he, ha- he comes with it uh, with a beautiful heart to want to see the kingdom of God expand, to see God outworked in people's lives. And it's very much not uh, just an academic um, exercise that he engages in, which is, which is really powerful. And you know what? I, I often, you know, look at those who are lecturing and, 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 and like Sean, I just think, what a gift to the body. You know, because if you're like me, I mean, I, I enjoy uh, learning stuff about Scripture, but I truly appreciate those who have gone before to dig more to help me to learn. And so, Sean, you're just a real gift to the body of Christ. We so appreciate you, and uh, we're so looking forward to having you with us, to sharing what's on your heart. And so, come on, why don't we give a huge welcome to Sean as he comes to preach. Good morning, good morning. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, he, he says those things about me now, but... Uh, I do have a reputation for being a hard marker, so uh, if, if, he, <laughs> if he's a bit down in the dumps because of his studies, it's probably also due to me. Thanks for having me, and thanks for having me uh, participate in this series. Uh, I'm just going to jump straight in, if that's all right. Uh, but before I do that, uh, let's just pray. Uh, gracious God, you are good, and we enjoy your goodness. We are the privileged recipients of your fierce love, and we thank you for that. And as we pause amidst busy lives, amidst perhaps even a miserable week, uh, we ask that this time would be beneficial. We ask that this time would be a a moment where your Spirit can speak to us through your Word. Uh, Please help me to be faithful to your Scriptures. Please help us as a community to be attentive and obedient to your word. Uh, Inspire some imagination, inspire some creativity amongst us as we contemplate how we may be faithful, having understood this message. Thank you for being with us, Lord, always and forever. Amen. The parables. Jesus loves parables. And the essence of Jesus' parables are to probe into our mindset, to, to kind of turn the world upside down. It's kind of like I imagine Jesus saying, imagine a world. And then he takes you into this world and you're kind of in it and, and you get sucked into the story. And parables are like this. They, 
they take you into a world where you'll encounter these characters and you've got to decide, am I like this one or this one? Or I'm definitely not like this one. Um, but at the end of it, whoa, maybe I am like that one. Ah! And it can actually be quite a frustrating experience reading the parables. In fact, uh, if you're not offended at least once, you probably haven't understood them. Um, I tell my students that if you think following Jesus is easy, you're probably doing it wrong. Because often he makes these demanding claims on us. Often he challenges us. And sometimes it's, oh, I wish I didn't know what I know, because sometimes it's uncomfortable. And the parables are like that. They summon us to a place in our imagination where we can think, oh, is that really the way the world is? Or is that the way the world could be? Could we really engage with other people like that? Could we really live that kind of life? Could we really be in a place to forgive somebody? And it's this powerful world that Jesus invites us into. And so come with me to this parable called the Good Samaritan. I call it the Model Samaritan, but I'll argue about that later. Um, in chapter 10 of Luke, verse 25, he says this. Uh, Luke starts the story. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. The, this guy's got a bit of guts. He, he knows his stuff, and he, he's come to play with the, with the master. He's come to tussle with the, with, the, with the rabbi here. And he says to him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the key question. You know, we, we don't want to miss out on it. So uh, I just want to check you out first, and I want to make sure that you're a good teacher. So what do you have to do to inherit eternal life? And everything hinges on Torah for Jews. And so uh, Jesus says to him, what is it written in the law? How do you read Scripture? Because depending on how you read Scripture, you'll answer that question maybe a little bit differently. And so Jesus wants to, before he kind of lays out his answer, uh, he wants to see where this teacher is, where his understanding is. And the whole discussion hinges on how do we interpret certain Scriptures. And so the teacher, like a good Jew, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And another part of the Gospels, Jesus actually says this is the greatest commandment. This is the kind of commandment that sums it all up. It doesn't tell you everything you need to know, but it's a big summary. And if you get this, at least you're headed in the right direction. So this is it. This is the greatest summary of Torah, the summary of the whole message of the Scriptures. And so Jesus says, yeah, you've got it, man. That's the right answer. Do this and you will live. Now, it's not about earning your salvation. It's not about works righteousness or anything like that. It's basically love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you're committed to loving God and you're committed to loving others, then that's what it means to have eternal life because that's what we'll be doing for eternity. Loving God and loving people. So you're stuck with me. Sorry. <laughs> and so there's this beautiful moment where that was a pretty easy question. That was a pretty good answer. Hey, man, we could just leave it at that. But the teacher, wanting to justify himself, and this is where it gets interesting. 
wanting to justify himself, says, whoa, 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 time out here. Who exactly is your neighbor? Because, you know, the teacher doesn't want to get to a place where he goes, oh, I, you know, I didn't do something. So I want clarity here. I want specificity. Tell me who this ambiguous neighbor is so that I can love him. Because then if I'm doing that, then, well, then I've got assurance of salvation. You know, then I, I know I'm in. So be specific. The Lord your God, yeah, we got that. We know who that is. But who's this neighbor character? It's a bit vague, Jesus, and so I want you to nail it down for me. I want you to describe it for me. You see, in Judaism at the time, they have this understanding of Leviticus 19, 17 to 18, and it says this, You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin or of your tribe. He's talking about Israelites. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the understanding of a neighbor in Israel and in Judaism of the time is, it's a fellow Jew. They're the ones who are in. So if you're not a Jew, then automatically I can exclude you from love. I don't have any responsibility to you. So who exactly is this neighbor? And this is where Jesus decides to test the man. And Jesus loves to do this. He says, it's story time. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell into the hands of robbers. That's an interesting Jewish idiom. He didn't literally fall into the hands of robbers. They attacked him. And they stripped him. They wanted what he had. They took everything from him. They beat him within an inch of his life, and then they abandoned him. Now, the first thing to notice here is it's just a man. We don't know who this man is. We don't know if it's a good man or a bad man. We don't know if it's a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know if he was maybe one part of the, the robber's team and, you know, his mates have decided, nah, you're off the team and they've beaten him now and taken all his stuff. We don't know anything about him. And that's the beauty of it. That's the point. Jesus leaves his identity vague and undisclosed because, Jesus is going to argue, it doesn't matter who he is. Well, not in the sense that the teacher thinks anyway. And then, Jesus carries on. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This is intentional. This is not just, oh, I didn't see. This is, oh, no, thank you. You see, Jews at this time, they have this definition of holiness as separation. Imagine Stanley is unholy. You know it, but I'm just, well, just for, for the sake of illustration, yeah. If I'm a good Jew, then what I want to do is create as much distance between me and him because unholiness is contagious, you know? And, you know, I don't want that stuff, you know? And so what I need to do is create enough boundaries and enough distance between him and me so that whatever he's got, I don't get. 
funny how some Christians still have that understanding. But holiness has got nothing to do with separation. How do we know that? Well, if holiness is about separation, then Jesus is probably one of the most unholy people. Because he's hanging out with all the wrong crowds. He's hanging out with all the sinners. You see, for Jesus, holiness isn't separation. It's distinctiveness. It's mean I can be in close proximity to somebody who's completely different, has different values, different behaviors, different everything, but that isn't affecting me. I'm still who I am and faithful to God the way he wants me to be. You see, for Jesus, his holiness is contagious, not other people's sin. And so the priest looks at this and goes, whoa, that, that's, that's unclean, that's unholy. I need to create separation. I need to create a boundary between that and me. And the same goes with a Levite. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, why did they do that? Well, there's this interesting discussion about, you know, is this what the law actually required of them or you know, what does the law actually say? Well, the fact that they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho means that both the priest and the Levite have already done their temple stuff. So they shouldn't actually be over-concerned with purity because they would have done all their purification rituals. They would have, you know, purified themselves. Then they would have performed their sacrifices. And then it's done. And so now they're just on their way home. So the question is, well, do those purity laws come into effect here? That's the discussion that's being had. And actually, for most of the Jews, the laws were suspended when life was endangered. And so there isn't actually a legal prohibition here from the Old Testament that says the priest and the Levite should create distance. But there's this cultural understanding, you know, and all... No, it's messy and it's dirty and, you know, I don't need that in my life. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. It's interesting. Look at the text. A priest is just traveling down the road and he sees him and he passes by on the other side. The Levite comes to the place and then sees him and then, oh no, creates some distance. But the Samaritan comes near to him. It's almost as if in the telling of the story, there's this progression of getting closer and closer to this unidentified human being. A Samaritan, while traveling near him, when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Now, compassion in the ancient world is a tricky thing. If you're a Jew, it's something good. If you're a Greek, it's something bad. Greeks don't like to have compassion. Because if you're a man particularly and you're moved by compassion, then you're allowing somebody else's circumstance to dictate how you feel and you're not in control of your emotions. And that's bad. Okay? Because guys, we want to be in control all the time. And we want to be in control especially of our emotions. And we want to appear stoic. Because that's what manliness is all about. We don't want to be mushy and compassionate. Not like Jesus. The Samaritan is moved with compassion. He sees this man. 
Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses the Samaritan here because the Samaritans and the Jews have beef. They hate each other. There is this racist vibe between them. Not only are the Samaritans considered heretics, but they're considered second class. They're of a different culture. I mean, they don't interpret the scriptures right, and they're just, they're just ugly people, according to the Jews. And so there's beef between these two groups. And so Jesus uses the villain, the cultural villain, to tell the story. You've got to imagine everybody this, but, whoa, man, this is uncomfortable. Why are you bringing up those people? Come on now. You know, I just, I just want to, you know, love God, love neighbor. You know, why are you bringing up those people? That's uncomfortable. Francois Bovon, a French scholar, writes, The vulnerable body of the one awakened the attentive heart of the other. The vulnerable body of this victim awakened the attentive heart of a compassionate human being. He sees him. Doesn't pass by. Doesn't. He sees him. And seeing him, he's moved with compassion. And he goes to him. And he touches him. He bandages his wounds. He pours oil and wine on them. Wine is medicinal in the ancient world. And then he puts him on his own animal and he brings him to an inn and he takes care of him. This is the shocking twist of the story. Why would one of those people do that? Why does the Samaritan stop to help? Well, clearly the Samaritans now defiled by the impurity of this body. You see, it seems that the Jews of the time had forgotten another passage in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, which says this, When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress him. The alien who resides you with you, you shall be to... Sorry, sorry resides with you, shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. You see, in the Old Testament, there is this provision for, hey, if you see somebody who is even an alien, an outsider, you are to love that person. So Jesus is not coming up with something radically new here. He's like, no, 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 the way you read Scripture actually matters. And by using a Samaritan instead of an expected Israelite, Jesus sets up an embarrassing situation for this teacher, this lawyer. The Samaritan knows how to show compassion and understands love for the stranger. The Jew doesn't. In effect, then, it becomes the Samaritan's exegesis is better than the Jew's because this is how it's transformed his life. Because it's not about knowing the right thing to do. It's about actually doing it. As my wife often says, actions speak louder than intentions. Don't read too much into that. (laughs) I mean, we could go off on an interesting track here and ask ourselves, would we allow ourselves to be ministered to by an enemy? 
But that's a tangent for another day. The next day, the Samaritan takes two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. This just keeps getting worse. I mean, the robbers steal from him. They take from him, they beat him, and they abandon him. The priest and the Levite, they ignore him, they disregard him, and they forget about him. But the Samaritan touches him, pays for him, and promises to return. Jesus has just flipped the script on who the heroes and who the villains are. And he's challenging this lawyer at the very deepest part of his being. How are you reading scripture so that you can delimit who's in and who's out? So it comes back to question and answer time. Jesus says to the man, having heard the story, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer comes to test and trap Jesus. Jesus is about to trap this dude. The question's obvious, but it's loaded. Which has priority? Some cultural understanding of what is impure? Or loving somebody? Since the lawyer has already admitted that the central summary of Torah can be summarized as complete love for God and love for neighbor. It's now the lawyer who is trapped by his own response. He says to Jesus, the one who showed mercy. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Now we can interpret this in a couple of ways. Maybe we should uh, go and stand at places where violent crimes happen and we could be prepared. Is that what he means by go and do likewise? Or maybe Jesus is pushing us to say, well, how do you think about people? How do you look at people? You see, this is the conversion of the imagination. This is where the parable invites you in and messes with your head because it actually asks you to stop and consider that there are human beings. Me, I, I have lots of friends. Uh, they, they sit on shelves all around me um, and usually I'm alone or my daughter, she's allowed to be in my bubble. Uh, she can sit next to me and if my friends are disagreeing with me, I just put them back on the shelf and I find somebody who does agree with me and I just pick it up. And, and I enjoy lots and lots of friends, and, but people, sometimes I struggle with them. Um, you know, actual living people, I mean, they have issues. Oh, I just don't have time for that. Well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to make time. You see, on the individual level, it's challenging us to actually consider those around us and consider those who come across our path. Do we actually see people? Or do we have a filter that goes in, out, in, out, in, out? Oh, definitely out. Uh, In, 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 in. Whoa, don't even go there. We're operating that kind of filter. Because Jesus doesn't operate with that filter. 
He just sees human beings in dire need of some compassion and some help. And so at the individual level, this is deeply challenging. Jesus doesn't allow us to limit the definition of neighbor. That's the wrong question. Imagine a world where we didn't see who's in and who's out, but we saw human beings to whom we could exercise compassion. I mean, at the bigger level, Jesus is not just telling a story randomly about a priest and a Levite. Jesus has got a bigger challenge. This isn't just a nice story about being nice. You don't use those two as examples of the villains. Jesus is offering a critique here of some of the holiness movements and some of the understandings of the way, what it means to be a Jew in the first century, and particularly the, the, the group associated with the temple. You know, they were big on who's in and who's out and who can afford to pay the right kind of gift. And, you know, Jesus tells stories about how they long to walk around with long robes and look all fantastic and have the best seats at the banquets. And, and Jesus is like, well, um, no, that's not how we're meant to be the people of God. And so the challenge is, how are we as a community Judging who's in and who's out. How are we as a community forsaking those who need? I mean, love the blanket idea. Fantastic. But that's easy. Because it's still creating a little bit of distance. Hey, I can throw my money at a problem. I'm not saying don't do that. Please do do that. But I'm saying it's easy to create these little boundaries so that we don't actually have to touch another human being. And I'm a personal space guy. I don't like to be touched at all. And yet sometimes the gospel requires me to actually look into the eyes of another and be moved by compassion and say, Oh God, what do you want me to do in this situation? How do I get over myself and just be who you need me to be in the situation. Again, if you think this is easy, you've misunderstood what I'm asking. This is not easy. I don't think following Jesus is easy. But I think this is what Jesus is challenging us. George Caird in his commentary says that the proper question is, to whom can I be a neighbor? And the answer is, to anyone whose need constitutes a claim on my love. To anyone whose need constitutes a claim on my love. So imagine a world without boundaries where we artificially construct who's in and who's out. Imagine a world where we don't have these things that prohibit us from extending compassion to one another. Let us imagine a world where every human being is seen and not ignored or abandoned. Let us imagine a world where the color of our skin, the cultural tribes we live in, don't isolate or negate relationships. Let us dream of a world where the haves and the have-nots can help one another. Let us imagine a world where the wounded are taken care of, where we are not too busy to see the face of God in loving another, to rephrase Les Mis. Imagine a world where compassion is the road more traveled 
where those who follow Jesus dare to see and be moved. Now, I'm not one of those preachers who can give you the application section. Uh, Your lives are too varied. I, I don't know you. You don't know me. But what I can do is give you a series of questions and then lead us in a time of prayer. So let me ask you, who is your other? How and where do you limit neighbor? Where would it be wise for you to go and do likewise? I mean, the story raises some interesting complications because what if the Samaritan had seen the guy actually being attacked by robbers? Would his response have been different? Now, I don't want that little intellectual exercise to actually become a barrier so that we don't ever do this. (laughs) But the issues are complex here. And so, where would it be wise for you to go and do likewise? To whom can you corporately extend compassion? Or where does your imagination need more conversion? Does that make sense? Let me just lead us in a time of prayer and then I'll hand over to Stanley. Gracious God, we are the recipients of your fierce love. And as carriers of this great gift of your love, Lord, we hear your call to see others and share that gift. And Lord, where we have cultural blind spots, where we have legitimate blind spots because of the past, I pray that you'd begin to bring an awareness to us, Lord. Individually, as we go about our lives, Spirit of God, I pray that we would be sensitive to you. Moving, whispering, what about that one? How can we help that one? Give us eyes to see those among us who are in need of your compassion expressed and embodied in and through us. God, as a church, as your people, inspire creativity, Lord that we might be those who are obedient to your call to be a community of mercy, a community of compassion, to be the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to shape the way we think, to shape our imaginations, that we might faithfully follow you, Jesus. Gracious God, I'm so glad that you saw us and that you were moved by compassion to touch us to help our lives, to change us, to heal us. May we share in the great privilege of doing that for others. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.